Welcome to the One Rental at a Time podcast. This is your host, Michael Zuber. This is the show where we interview guests involved in the real estate business, from experts to newbies, wholesalers, flippers, buy and hold, apartments, commercial, notes, hard money, Airbnb, mobile homes. It doesn't matter. If you're involved in the business, we want to talk to you. This show relies on referrals and recommendations from our listeners. If you know someone we should talk to, please make a recommendation. As the author of One Rental at a Time, The Journey to Financial Freedom, I'm dedicated to helping you take your first or your next step on your real estate journey. But I need your help. We need to spread the message of One Rental at a Time Works. Please share this podcast, my YouTube channel, and of course, my book, all called One Rental at a Time. Thanks, and let's start the show. Hey, everyone. Thanks for watching. I have another great show for you today. I have another very successful real estate investor who is doing big things. Frankly, I call him a real estate entrepreneur. As you will see, he's doing all different things, looks at the opportunities and treats them accordingly. So let's welcome Greg Hellbeck to the show. How are you doing this morning, Greg? Hey, Michael. How are you doing? Good doing? to see you again. I had you on my show last week and we decided to flip the roles this week. Yeah, exactly. I get to ask you all the hard questions since you grilled me over the flames oh. last week. Oh, I'm just kidding. <laughs> don't, don't tell anyone, but I, I secretly like being the guest instead of the interviewer because it's more, it's yeah. easier. <laughs> it's easier. Exactly. Exactly. Well, Greg, why don't you do me, do me a favor and introduce the world to who you are, where you're at, what you do, all that stuff. Absolutely. For sure. So I'm Greg Helbeck. I'm a real estate entrepreneur. Uh, we'll get into more of that in, uh, in a couple minutes, but uh, I am from originally New York. So the uh, Hudson Valley region of New York is about an hour north of Manhattan. I moved out to San Diego. I got a place out there uh, last July. Um, so almost a year ago now. So I kind of split time between New York and California. I think recently I probably spent a little bit more time in California, but I'm actually currently in New York because we have some projects going on. So I'm taking care of business out on the Northeast. So that's kind of where I'm located. Um, in terms of my business model, I've been, uh, been buying and selling investment property for about three and a half, almost four years now. It's funny how time flies. And uh, I've definitely, I've uh, been very fortunate to, to learn a lot in this business. I started at a young age and uh, I'm looking forward to uh, kind of continuing my, my entrepreneuring journey and uh, keep growing and, and scaling and, and getting into bigger deals as I uh, get more experience. Very cool. That's, that's awesome. And the last three or four years have been very kind to real estate investors, right? It's been a seller's market, fun. you know? Um, I'm curious what you think, you know, this is your first time maybe in a changing market, right? We've clearly been up the last four years. I think it's fair to say we're at a, a point that may be, maybe rolling over, maybe a pause, you know, nobody knows for sure. Uh, but are you seeing that in your business in, in upstate New York or, or is it not yeah. affected by that? Yep. I actually forgot to mention, I'll answer your question. I forgot to mention, I also do a lot of business down in Dallas, Fort Worth, Texas and Austin. Okay. So I do some, I actually do a good amount of deals down there too. So um, to the New York, to just to answer that question in general, um, what we saw was a couple months ago, uh, a lot of our, when we were wholesaling real estate and even when we were buying closing on real estate, um, when interest rate, when interest rates went up a little bit, uh, the, the, the market kind of cooled down in Dallas and in New York. And then the high end market in New York really started to slow down a bit. So a lot of my buddies were buying and fixing and flipping high-end houses, got themselves into some trouble. So I think uh, in terms of uh, where we're at today, what is it, uh, May 2019, I think uh, what interest rates went down a little bit. So I think the market is still pretty hot. Obviously, it's getting, I think the days on market's getting a little bit longer. Inventory is growing a little bit more. Um, 
so in terms of uh, just to, to stay out of trouble, what I've been doing as I've seen these changes, I think the high end stuff over 500 grand in New York uh, is a little bit more risky now. That's not selling nearly as quickly. Um, so I think, but still today, if you're in the uh, you know under median home price point, uh, you know on the buy and sell basis, uh, you're you're still going to do pretty well. Uh, might not sell as fast as it was maybe a year ago, but uh, as long as you buy your deal right and you know what you're doing, you should be able to to make a profit on the house for sure. Yeah, Greg, you said the magic words. I was hoping to hear from you. Is if in a market that is changing. If you protect yourself by investing below the median, whatever your market is, right? If New York is 500, so be it. If Cleveland is 80 grand, I, I don't care where it is. If you're investing below the median, you get that downside protection just because there's not a lot of inventory. So Exactly. That, that's key. Yeah. And, and like you, I saw friends worth 10 million bucks in the last cycle that were playing above the median and a few of them went bankrupt. Um, you know, yeah. if you're, if your days on market doubles and you have to do price cuts and you have hard money loans and your you know, your beautiful Manhattan flip doesn't sell your toast, eat you alive. You're, you're in trouble. You're going to be really, uh, you'll be gridlocked. And then you, the hard money you just brought up is the, is something that I use to, to take down deals, especially more expensive deals. And, uh, you got to know what you're doing when you start borrowing hard money because there's a lot of moving parts to that and uh, it's, it's expensive money. But if you know how to play the game right, you can use that leverage hard money to, to get insane returns on like our like return on equity, cash on cash returns. It's unbelievable. But you just got to make sure you know what you're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about this, right? Because we've both got four years plus on us. Um, so I think we can offer advice because I, I am really nervous about people jumping in, right? I call it the herd mentality. And I saw this so much in 06, 07, 08, the people that were late to the party. Um, what kind of advice would you give them? Because again, it, it, you never know anybody's situation, but if you were starting today and committed, yeah. what were some things that you would advise your younger self or yourself just starting out today? Absolutely. So we'll keep us around the topic of, of like knowing how to like knowing what to get involved in and knowing mm -hmm. what not to get involved in. Yes. I would say, especially today, and I would love to tell my younger self, which was tough because you know, when you're new, you just don't know what you don't know Yeah, is really understand how to figure out what makes a deal a good deal. I think that's something that once you have experience in this business, when you know, after looking at properties, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and why it makes sense or why it doesn't make sense, you're, you're so much more confident to pull the trigger, whether that's to close on it, whether that's to maybe do a wholesale assignment. But I think something that, that I struggled with in the beginning is I, I just didn't know what a good deal was. And I was so anxious and desperate because I did need to do a deal because I had no other income. I was like trying to swing at everything and I was trying to put a square peg in a round hole. And now I'm a lot more disciplined on what I'm going after, what my criteria is, how I'm going to add value to that property, what exit strategy I'm going to do. Does it make sense to rent? Does it make sense to assign? Does it make sense to close on? And I'm really more, I know how to really underwrite a good deal. And I'm always open. And this is the key. I'm always open to finding out other ways to underwrite, to, to get better at deal making. Um, and a lot of the times, unfortunately, that comes with experience. Uh, you can listen to shows like this that will help the learning curve. But unless you go out and start making offers on properties and getting the feedback loop firing, uh, you know, all the podcasts in the world aren't going to help you because you need to use these as a supplement, not as the primary vehicle for your education. Totally agree. I'll call it YouTube University as a generic bucket. I'm not sure what else to call it. Uh, it's great. But yeah, you have to swing, swing your own bat, right? Put your own offers. Look at your own deals. 
And what you just highlighted mm -hmm. is what's going to keep you in this business long term is you're willing to keep learning and realizing that you can add more tools to the bag and learn how to disposition opportunities. Because as market cycles change, there's always money to be made. I've learned that over the, the worst, the, the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And you're going to be just fine. But you got to be humble. You have to realize you don't know everything. Yeah. Um, and then That's be able key. to yeah, be humble and change with the market. And the other thing you mentioned right there is frankly the number one thing that, that I finally broke down and created an online course because people keep asking how, how, how. And it's, that, it's this one question. How do you understand what a bad, average, good, and great deal are in your market? How do you do that, right? That's a skill that I believe you can learn that you then can evolve to any market, whether it's upstate New York, Dallas, Texas, or San Diego. If you know how to build the homework and the repetition to ultimately answer bad, average, good, and great, you, you have a skill you can use forever. Would you agree? I think that is probably uh, one of the best pieces of advice any listener uh, on this show could, could hear. When you, it's, 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 it's almost like once it's developed, it's, like, it's almost like you're going to the gym, you're working out, you're working out. Once your arms are a certain size, as long as you don't like never work out again, they're always going to stay the same and then they're going to get bigger. Yeah. But until you, you work out and really understand from the right information, I'm sure your course is, is right on the money with this. That's when, once you know, like, oh, that's what a deal is. Oh my God, that's why I need to buy it at 10 cents on the dollar. You know what I mean? And then you're like, aha. Uh -huh. And then you, you, you do the deal, you make some profits and you're like, oh, that's why I need to make the low offer. That's why I need to be conservative with the financing. That's why I need to, you know, stress test the deal because it's just so many moving parts, right? Yeah. And um, in this business, it's a great business, but uh, you can make some pretty big mistakes, right? If you don't know what you're doing and you can get yourself into trouble. Yeah. And at the end of the day, if you can't intelligently sit across from someone like Greg or myself and say, this is why it's a good or great deal, you're toast, right? If you can, I, I still remember people in 08 going, hey, I saw three houses this weekend and I wrote two offers. I'm like, what are you doing? How, how do you know? I mean, you, you looked at three and you wrote offers on two. How, how do you, I mean, why? I mean, why is that okay? So I, I see that coming. I can see the herd just coming down behind us and I'm afraid it can get pretty messy in the next 18 to 24 months. Yeah, no, I think that's, that's accurate. And also uh, another thing, this ties into like looking for deals. Like you got to have some sort of criteria that you're looking for, because if you don't have criteria, you don't have anything to disqualify. If you're like, I'm looking for anything. Well, <laughs> then you're going to like, you're, you're going to have no focus. If you have certain criteria, what you're looking for now, you can take any opportunity that comes to your desk, whether it's your own marketing or you're on the MLS or referrals. And you can say, does this deal meet my criteria? Does it, you know, can I buy it at 70 cents of the dollar? Does it rent for at least 1%? And then you can just kind of start to, you know, it's almost like deal making is almost like a disqualification process. Yes. And then the one out of 20 or one out of 30 that works is like, oh, okay, this meets my criteria. Let me put all my time and effort into this deal because yeah. this is going to make me money. And then the other 30 were junk and it's just the way it works. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in the 80-20 principle. Oh, for, you, you've nailed it. I mean, one of the reasons that I was able to buy out of the MLS for 15 years as my only means, because I was a full-time employee, is because I had a deal criteria. My box was this big. I could look through an MLS that had thousands of listings in it and, you know, like 17 met the criteria. So I worked on the 17 and five got offers. The other 2,763, zero attention because they didn't meet the box. Exactly. That's key, especially when you're beginning, especially like you said, if you have like a, I didn't have a full-time job when I started, like I was in college, but I had plenty of time to do this. Like if you work eight hours a day and you want to be a deal maker, like you need to like yeah. seriously 
focus on doing the right things for a couple hours a day. Cause if you do that every day, you're going to make some, you're going to have some serious traction and it's going to be only off a minimum amount of time. So yeah. um, that's another thing that's critical. Yeah. Is like I, got up at, I got up at 6am for 10 years straight and looked every day for 60 minutes. I mean, that's just that's it. That's what that's it takes. Paid off. There you go. That's it. So, hey, I know in the introduction, you talked about a term that, that I haven't brought up with a lot of guests on this show. It was called hoteling. Um, I yeah. obviously know what it means, or at least I think I know what it means, but tell me how it fits in your business and maybe give us an example of a hotel deal you've done. I'd love to. Um, so I'll give you two examples. Actually, I'll give you one. Um, dude, the other one hasn't closed yet. Um, so wholetailing is basically, you know, usually it's successful in, a, in an up market. It's when you, you don't, like, there's two really, when people talk about flipping properties, usually there's two things that are, they're like, oh, can I wholesale it? Can I assign the contract or double close? Or can I take it down and do a fix and flip and renovate the hell out of this thing and then get the retail buyers in there? But then, so those are the two primary, you know, flipping methods that a lot of people talk about. But the, the thing in the middle, it's kind of a hybrid between the two. It's called wholetailing, like you said. It's when you actually, it's when you close on a property, like you take the property down with hard money, with cash, private money, whatever you need to do, and you become the owner. So you don't sell it to a buyer right away, or you don't, and then you, but the thing, the thing is, once you become the owner, you, you do the minimum amount of changes you need to do in order to get the property pretty much um, MLS ready. And then what you do is you sell that property. Um, you know, once you do a little bit of work, I would say probably the budget on a wholetail would be 20,000 or less. Uh, usually with a wholetail, the properties aren't too distressed. Like if they're completely shot, like, you know, foundation, mold, you know, just the things falling down, hoarder house, it's tough to wholetail those because a lot of the times, uh, the amount of work you're going to have to do to get it wholetail ready, it just you should just take it to the to the rehab level. Um, and anyway, so so you close on the property, you do the minimum changes, and then you relist the property, um, pretty much right around for what the REOs in the market are selling for. And the value you're creating there is that you're pretty much competing with all the REOs. And if people aren't familiar with an REO, it's just a bank-owned property. And and what you're doing is you're selling your property right next to the REOs, and uh, that property that you obviously acquired was off market and now it's on market and then a lot of investors can buy these REOs or, um, and they'll overpay for the REOs cause they think that's the only way deal. That's the only, uh, method to find deals or a retail buyer will buy the REO. And it's, and the key is you fixed it. So it's not in terrible shape. So you can probably have them get a bank loan and you can maximize your profits. So a lot of the times you, you know, if you wholetail a deal, um, you could probably make 50 grand. If you rehab it, you could make 65. Uh -huh. But the key is if you win the deal, you can make 20, 25. So you can double your profit just by closing on the deal. As long as you know the market, you know what you're getting into and you understand what your exit strategy should be and you don't get greedy because the key to wholetail is velocity. You don't want to be stuck with these things. So um, hope that explained your definition or your question. Uh, one, real, your question. One, one quick question on hotel. So you're, you're signing a contract. You're thinking days. Would a hotel be thinking weeks or months? Probably uh, six to eight weeks. I'd say okay. like I have one going on right now. I closed on it like a week ago. Um, we got the clean out. I called it phase one. We got done. Um, phase two is like the, the mechanicals. So we're fixing the electric, the plumbing, and then phase three is going to be some cosmetic work that I'm doing, uh, getting the walls out of the, like getting the, the paneling out of the basement, painting it, fix, making, the, making the floors nicer, uh, and maybe putting appliances in there, and then we're going to put that right on the market. So okay. um, that would be three. Okay. All right. So, uh, so give, give us an example of a deal then. Yeah. So 
so here's a deal I got involved in. This this was a couple months ago now. So there was a, I'll I'll tell you the powerful thing. I guess it'll show you how powerful the strategy is. So uh, I got a seller called me. They had a property for sale, uh, and you know it was in an area where it was a pretty good area, but it wasn't an area. This is in New York. Um, wasn't like a like in one of the cities that's near me or one of the hot, hot, hot towns. It's just a really good kind of pretty town overlooking the mountains. Property was kind of in a remote location, you know, it was off a kind of a county road and it had like a, pri a private driveway. Um, so I got it tied up. I bought it for a song. So the contract price was like 81,000 and I was trying to sell it um, wholesale. Like I was trying to assign this contract for uh, like 10 grand or 15 grand. And I could barely find a buyer. Like I, I, I really, I was having a tough time. I was like, oh my God, I might, I don't want to cancel this contract on this poor lady. So I said, well, how do I, you know, solve this problem? So I actually partnered up with my buddy on this one because uh, he's very good. My buddy Devin King is, is ridiculously good at this strategy. Um, and he had a bunch of cash sitting on the sidelines and he said, hey, why don't we take this thing down and close on it and we'll put it on the MLS and I'll fund the whole thing. You don't have to put a nickel of your own money into it. I'll take all the risk. I'm like, okay. <laughs> so we okay. close, on, close on this property. Yeah, we take it down for eighty-one thousand. Uh, we cleaned it out. We got a little. We got some of the mold off of the wall. There was some mold on the wall, so we kind of just kind of got the mold fixed. Uh, we did nothing else to the property. Absolutely nothing. Uh, but a week later, we had it on the market uh, on the multiple listing service, and we sold it for one sixty-one to a cash buyer. And we made eighty thousand dollars, and we didn't do much to the property. And it was all wow. most of it was profit. But we had no capital costs or anything. Um, so we had some brokerage fees and some attorney fees, but I mean, we, we made a lot of money. Uh, I would four X my wholesale profit. If you take the, the, the pro rate of share, I have the 40,000, he made 40,000. I would make 10 assigning it. I made 40 closing on it with none of my own money. And, uh, after that deal, I was like, wow, like this is, this is a good strategy. You know, this is a really good strategy. So, yeah. Um, yeah. You're a simple guy. Some is good. More is better. Huh? <laughs> yeah. Can't go broke making a profit. Yeah, no joke. So, okay, so let's let's play silly question time. So, if sure, um, I love it, I'll silly, yeah, I, silly question. So, why would you ever wholesale if hoteling makes that much of a difference? That's a good question. I'll give you another example on a wholesale deal that I just had the buyer sign the contract on uh, about an hour ago. Cool. So, the whole wholesaling when you when once you start to take down deals and you don't assign anymore because I, I think wholesaling real estate. And, and buying property and closing on real estate, they're two completely different games to play. Wholesaling is marketing and assigning. It's almost like you're a real estate agent when you're wholesaling. You're the middleman, you're assigning contracts, you're not taking title. Um, once you become the owner and you take title, it's a whole nother bag of burritos. So <laughs> the, the thing with wholesaling is that once you take down the property and you own it, even for like a couple of weeks, you have to get home insurance, you have you know, potentially hard money payments, you have to know a little bit about construction. You have to know how to deal with contractors. You need to know how to deal with the city. So, so what, what I what I'm saying all that because you uh, your cash flow can 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 go through some big swings because uh, you know an, an empty property is a liability until you sell it. So that house every day you own is going to be costing you money, 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 money. When you're assigning contracts, you're getting paid at closing. You're getting an assignment fee. You're usually not even taking title. So I I still wholesale deals under two circumstances. Uh, number one. If the property, if I don't think it's a great deal and I don't want to close on it, I will be super transparent with the seller and I will say, hey, I don't want to buy this. I do have a network of investors who might want to buy this and I want to put a 10-day uh, contingency in here. If I can't assign this thing to someone else, you know, I'll give you half your deposit back and we'll kind of part ways. So if I think it's a crummy deal uh, that I don't want to close on for some reason, 
I'll blast it out to investors, see if they want to buy it. If they do, then I'll assign it. If they don't, then I know it's not a great deal. The other way I will, I will hold the only, the other way I will wholesale uh, opposed to closing is that if my, and I look at everything on a cash flow basis, if my company cash flow is uh, could use some, some immediate cash into the business for whatever reason, usually it's for other deals that I have. Um, I'll sometimes I will sign the deal just to take the upfront money to then allocate to pay for some of the company expenses. So then the business stays healthy and profitable and we don't have these like gargantuan swings every month and I have a full head of gray hair. So really those all assigned now, but, but if I, if those two reasons are, are like, if I cash flow is fine and, and I think it's a great deal, now I'm looking to close on the properties now and maximize them. Actually, probably hold them as rentals too, uh, depending on where it is in New York because the taxes are kind of high up here. Yeah, no, I think I think what you're doing is great, and I ask you those questions knowing kind of where the answer is going to go. So that and that was perfect, frankly. I, I love how you're running your business. Actually, speaking of rentals, do you actually own any buy and holds today, or not just yet? I don't have any rentals right now. Uh, to be completely upfront with you, I got started. I was 20 years old. I'm 24 now, and I was just kind of in cash accumulation mode. Cash accumulation mode. I, you know, I was, you know, never was an entrepreneur until I started this business. So I really just needed to get my footing. Yeah. And now I'm starting to realize that the real wealth is in the freaking rentals. It's the yeah. equity and the cash flow. Yeah. Know? And flipping is love it, but it's like you know, even it, it, for me, it's fun. Like some people, it's like a means to an end. I, I like buying and selling. I'll always do it, and I'm going to start to do it more with bigger deals. Yeah. But um, the real wealth is in the rental properties. And I'll be the first one to tell you, like, you know, if you're flipping 10 houses a month, that's awesome. And more power to you. I respect the hell out of that because that's certainly not easy. But really, at the end of the day, the, the, the real, a lot of reasons why people probably get into this business is because they want the, the, the equity, the net worth, and the cash flow that, that rental properties will give you. And people will say, oh, well, I have an automated flipping business. And that, that could be factually accurate. But really, there's no real asset value because it's just buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell, buy and sell. Yeah, you could sell your company probably, but I think the value of your your holdings compared yeah. to the value of what your your you know basically sales and marketing company would be, it would be much more valuable if you just started acquiring rental properties when it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, here's the deal, right? Again, one guy's opinion. So what is it worth? Um, wealth in this yeah. business is is done by controlling or, or holding assets, right? Technically, for the long term, that's where wealth is. If you want a high income. Yeah, lots of wholesalers and flippers I know make seven figures a year. And yeah, that's a lot. I mean, I've never made seven figures a year, frankly. And I'm okay with that, right? I, I, I like the wealth of buy and hold, let the tenants buy my assets, all that stuff. So uh, totally get it. Glad you're, glad you're moving in that direction because that'll, that'll change your life, right? When you get 10, 15 of those just kind of sitting on the side that becomes a, a bank you can use, equity lines, all those other things can feed in your business when you need it. Yeah. And, and, and here's another point. Um, you know, when I had a, you know, I'm involved in another business. Um, and, and at the time last year, it was, it was very uh, hands off for me. Uh, it was a couple hours of my time uh, a week. And I was, you know, it was like substantial income, like, especially for a young 23 year old. And I was like, Oh my God, like I could literally just freaking burn all my properties down in my real estate business. And this other business would like just be kicking off cash flow, And that business kind of slowed down. So then I'm like, well, if I had rental properties, like this would never be an issue. And it's like, you have that, you know, that check coming in every month from the asset, at least for me, once that becomes reality, which it will, I'm going to be more apprehensive to taking more risks on real estate deals. I'm like exactly. big buy and sell deals, commercial deals. Cause I'm like, I can pay my bills, got the yeah. rentals coming in. Now I can go out and do these big value add projects and make huge profits and then put into rentals. You know, there you go. I like it. So I'm always curious for a guy that I, I deem as being wildly successful at under 25. So congratulations. 
where do you find the spark? Where did the spark come from? Do you remember the day? Because not everybody goes through college and goes, I want to get into real estate, right? That's not usually a conversation. I mean, where, where does this come from? Yeah, yeah, I like it. I like, I like kind of where we're taking this because I'm big into the mindset stuff too. Um, I think for me, I, I definitely didn't grow up like rich, but I didn't grow up poor. I think, and uh, this is something I heard like a while ago, like sometimes the toughest place to come from to, to get quote unquote financially successful is like the middle class because you're comfortable with where you're at. And like, yeah. you're not like, you can't pay, you can pay your electric bill, but you can't go and, and, you know, go to Tahiti for a month and, you know, smoke cigars. Right. But, but so you're kind of in that middle ground. Um, and for me, uh, I just, ever since I was young, I never wanted money to be a reason why I couldn't do something. Mm. And I always kind of liked uh, being able to kind of have control over what I want to do. I've, I've had small jobs when I was younger in high school and stuff. And I just never liked, and even in school, like I never liked having to like report to this person and to do this, to do that. And I can only make this much money. And uh, I just think my personality style is, is, is definitely geared towards this type of stuff. Um, and I, I just think that at the end of the day, like life is not a just dress rehearsal, right? So, you, you know, you got to make the most of your time. So whether you're 20 or you're 40, I think it, it, now is the time to get started, right? Because nothing is guaranteed. And uh, I, I think, especially to, to some younger folks listening to this, which I'm sure there are, the, the, the more you can, the younger you can get started, you know, and you don't have to be 20, you can be 30, you know, age is kind of relevant. But the quicker you can make the decision to get in this business, and the more you can kind of put that effort in the beginning, and you can develop those skills, the, the more options you're going to have later on in life, no matter how old you are. Uh, so for me, I knew like, if I really put the work in as, as, a, as a young, young man, um, you know, I'm going to continue to grow. And like this, the, the choices I make today will, will be paying ginormous dividends, five, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now. And, uh, I just like to really live a purposeful life. And, um, obviously there's not perfect days, there's ups, there's downs, that's inevitable, but I just like to be really intentional about what I do, uh, and, and try to maximize, uh, my gifts. Yeah. Makes, makes a ton of sense, but I'm still wondering, I mean, maybe there wasn't, I mean, was there a day, an event, a book that, that pushed you towards real estate? Cause it, you know, you are again, comfortable, you were in college, you were, you know, you were getting set to join yeah. the rat race. Um, yep. Yeah. Here it is. Here's a comment. That was good. Um, so I was playing hockey and I wanted to play in the pros and it didn't work out. Okay. And I was so freaking defeated when that, became reality. I was 19 at the time. I was driving back from Toronto, Canada. Uh, and I knew that this probably wasn't going to be the, 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 the path for me. Uh, so I actually went back to Boston where I was playing uh, to, to, to try this other team out that wasn't that great. And I, I voluntarily decided to go after a couple weeks there. I'm like, I need to get back to New York. I need to go to college. I need to figure my life out. So the real estate thing came when, uh, when I read a book, so I, during all this, I went to Tampa Bay, Florida for a little vacation. I read this book called Elite Minds by Stan Beecham. Okay. And uh, that book really just got me thinking about like how powerful your mind is uh, and, and like you can kind of do anything within reason. So I read that book and it like sparked something in me like, wow, like this book is freaking powerful. Like you, you need to, you know, take advantage of what this guy's saying. So I started to study that book. Then I read Rich Dad Poor Dad that summer. And then I went to a real estate seminar. I went to one of those, like, you know, there's the gurus in town or whatever. And, uh, you know, I went to the seminar and I don't know what it was, Michael, but I didn't know. Like, I, I tried to dabble in the stock market. I didn't know like what, you know, entrepreneur, I didn't even know I was an entrepreneur. Like I just realized I was an entrepreneur once I kind of started trying to flip houses. I didn't have any plans on being one. Uh, and 
you know, so I'm at the seminar and, uh, the guy was talking about like wholesaling properties and like, I had no money. I was broke. I had no, nothing to lose. And he's like, yeah, you can make, you know, 10, 15, 20 grand with someone else's money. And you know, and I'm just, I, just like, I don't know what it was like in that seminar room, a, like, a, like something went off and I was like, Oh my God, I'm going to be a real estate investor. This is what I want to do. And I, it was like, it was like a flashbulb went off in my face. And I remember I turned around and I looked at both of my buddies who came to me and we were 20 at the time. So we're the youngest people in here. And I said, I don't care what both of you guys do. I want to let you know I'm signing up for this. I have the money. And I, it was two grand. I had two grand in the bank. It was like straight up, like all or nothing. I said, I'm doing this. If one of you guys wants to partner with me and split it, because you can take someone for free, uh, I'm down to do that. But either way, I don't care. I'm doing it. And my one buddy who I actually did that deal with, who we made 80 grand on, decided to join me. And now he's a very successful young investor. Um, and I guess the rest is history. Uh, and That's that was, awesome. it was like, I'll never forget that moment. Like, I was like, I'm going to be an investor. Like, this is going down. And it wasn't like some, like, uh, you know, kind of honeymoon thing. Like, I knew it, I was committed from that day. Like, I'm like, no, I'm doing this. And yeah. I'm going to freaking go. That's awesome. There's, there's always, everybody I've talked to, there's, there's an event, a book, a thing um, that sparks it. And, and, you know, as I shared on your show last week or whenever we did that, for me, it was my 30th birthday when I looked up and, you know, I made decent income, but I had nothing to speak of it. I mean, it was like a slap across the face. And then you, you throw on top of that, like you, rich dad, poor dad. And I'm like, duh, rentals. Let's just keep one yeah, at a time. Yeah. Let's go. One at a time, day by day. It's, and I think that's powerful because like, I think a lot of people, and even now, like, you know, I have a podcast and stuff and like, you know, people reach out to me and like, I could tell somebody what to do to get started. And I do it all the time. I'm like, Hey, I'd be happy to help you. Cause like, when I was in your situation, I would love someone I could talk to. And I, I give them legit advice. I don't hide anything. I don't like, like, Oh no, you 997. It's yours. You know, like I'm just like, Hey, like this is what you should do. And, uh, most people will just listen to me and do nothing. And I can't control that. So it's like, I think you have to have that and try. I think success is an inside job. Actually, I know it's an inside job because it's like that. That's just like everyone. It's, it's all internal. So I think until you get the, the inside thing figured out um, and you figure out why you want to do it, it it's going to be very hard to, to make serious traction because you're going to get hit in the face all the time. You need to understand like that's part of the game, right? Yeah. And, uh, you know, so yeah. that, I think that's powerful. Yeah. If your mind's not right, the first speed bump's going to feel like a brick wall and you're just going to sit down and whine and cry and whatever. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like it's, it's still going to hurt even if you're committed, yeah. but when you're committed, you know, it's part of the game. It's all mindset. I think it's like 95% mindset and oh. like 5% like oh, do this strategy. Make this no, no question. If, if you look at it as a speed bump, you'll get up. It'll hurt. It'll be bumpy. Yeah. Uncomfortable. But if you don't, it's a brick wall and you just sit down. It's, it's, it's mindset yeah. makes that decision. So I'm curious about one thing because man, you're, 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 you're crushing it at such a young age. And you know, I've got 20 years on you, right? Just put that out there. I, I, where do you see yourself in, I was going to say 20 years, but shit, let's say five years. Where, where do you want to take this thing? Are you happy where you're at? You want to double, triple, quadruple it? You want to be in 20 markets? I'm not happy. I'm, I'm not happy in, like, in a good way. I'm, I'm blissfully dissatisfied as Ed Milet says. Um, so I, I got to step it up because I'll tell you one thing. I definitely got a little comfortable last year. Okay. Uh, I had a good year. I never really had a lot of traction until last year. And last year I had a very good year. And uh, I moved out to San Diego, living on the beach, basically, you know, and I was like miserable. I was like, this is awful. Like, because <laughs> I hit all my goals and I'm like, now what? You know, like, this is ridiculous. Like, you, you, you want to smack me with a dead fish if you hear what I was saying. But it's like, no, like, I was not like happy because I wasn't really working towards anything. 
Um, so, so with my business right now, I'm really kind of using the whole buying and selling business uh, in like residential real estate to accumulate some serious savings. So then now I can take bigger risks on properties and make way bigger profits. But really at the end of the day, I want to really want to get, I don't want to have an operation that does like 10 buy and sells a month. There's like, there's nothing wrong with that. I think it's great, but I don't want to have that. Yeah. I want to get into deals. So I want to slowly pivot, you know, within reason to bigger commercial properties, buying and selling commercial properties, and then buying and holding the assets, the commercial assets, uh, you know, apartments, office, whatever. And then also at the same time, I want to be taking a lot of, you know, my single family skills and, and, and strategically buying rental properties that make sense that I can then usually refinance, get all my capital out to then go buy the next one and kind of use that as a way to build a safety net. But in, on the, on the other side, really get into to buying and selling a lot more commercial properties and owning, you know, big, uh, big buildings. Honestly, I want, honestly, that's how I want to scale it. I want to scale it in terms of like bigger deals, not bigger volume of residential deals. And, um, it's not going to be easy. Uh, it's, it's obviously it's possible because other people are doing it. Yeah. But for me, at least, you know, it's just, that's going to get me to that next level. And then once I get there, I'm going to want to do the next thing. Right. It's like, I think people kind of realize, like they think that once they get to where they're at, like it's going to be all good. And then you just realize that if you can get to that level, like you can get to the next level and it's like healthy though. It's not like, like you, you, your brain plays tricks on you. Cause once you get to the level that you want it to get to, you're going to get comfortable there. You're going to have problems there and you want to just keep evolving. Like I think humans are made to evolve, not to stay like in the same spot. So no matter where you go, what you achieve, you're, you're going to always want to get to that next level, no matter what it is. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. So I know lots of people are going to watch this and be attracted to your story, to you as a person, because you're just, you're just fun to talk to. How can people follow you, follow your podcast, Facebook? How can people get a hold of you? Just basically track what you're doing. Sure, sure. That'd be great. Um, so I have a show called Pave the Way Podcast. It's on iTunes right now on YouTube. So just you can type in Pave the Way Podcast on iTunes. Um, you'll find it there. Uh, it's been growing, which has been great. Uh, you can search my name, Greg Helbeck, G R E G H E L B E C K on YouTube and the pave the way episodes will be on YouTube that way. Um, and the, probably the best way to get in touch with me, uh, would probably be Instagram. I would say that's the social platform that I use the most, even though I try to cut back my social time cause that's just a big vortex, uh, <laughs> but you could reach out to me at Grego. So G R E G O underscore 37. Um, and follow me and reach out to me. Uh, it might take a little while for me to get back to you because I don't check my messages that much because I get all, you know, I get anxiety with that stuff. Like, uh. <laughs> so I will get back to you eventually, but that's probably the best way to get. If you want to message me on Instagram, uh, or I'll just give my email out to uh, Greg at pavethewaypodcast.com. If you want to email me something, I'd be happy to, you know, get back to you. Once again, it might take a little while, but I will get back to you and, uh, you know, we can chat. I'd be happy to help anyone who can. So Grego 37, I'm guessing 37 used to be your hockey number. Just wild guess. How did you know that? Are you, did you just like happen to walk through my closet and find my old jersey? <laughs> no, dude, guys are all the same. <laughs> We're all the same. It was my old hockey number. There you go. There you go. High school hockey number. Dang old diggity. Yeah. There that you was, go. Uh, that was great. This, <laughs> this has been so much fun for me. I'm glad we did this. I look forward to watching you, uh, grow and prosper. And it's, it's always fun to see somebody in their twenties getting started. I, I, I tell people all the time, I, I wish I was you, right? I wish I started when I was 20 instead of when I was 30. Um, you know, that, that decade means something. So, uh, congratulations. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been nice to connect with you and, uh, looking forward to connecting more with you. And, and I mean, you, you're, you're very impressive. You're, you're doing very fine. You know, I know you, you wanted to start younger, but you're, you're crushing it, man. You're crushing <laughs> it. And I, I admire everything you're doing. 
And uh, just the, I think the way that you, you know, you approach this business, you know, from a, you just from a very smart perspective, like, Hey, I read Rich Dad Poor Dad and I know that rentals are going to get me wealthy and there's nothing wrong with flipping houses. I do it all the time, but you did it strategically. You did it smart. And I think your message is just so authentic and real. And I, I freaking, I love it, man. So I'm glad we connected and uh, I'm looking forward to, to, to growing with you, man. All right, brother. Thank you very much.